I've been on vacation, so doing a little bit of driving both throughout Nova Scotia and also Prince Edward Island. And I've noticed that driving down to Bridgewater, there's still a bridge that's out there, roads that have been washed away in that Noah-like uh, rainfall that we had back in July 21st and 22nd. And then I went down to the Annapolis Valley, and it was the same thing through West Hants. You'd see roads washed out, or maybe just along the side of the road, the shoulder completely washed away. And then our family went to PEI on vacation. And over there, we saw the destruction that came as a result of Hurricane Fiona. And there were places where there used to be trees. You couldn't see through this little forest. My brother and his wife live in a subdivision. I never realized that there was a house behind them because all I could see was trees in their backyard. But now they've got neighbors. They have all kinds of neighbors back there. And then our family rented a cottage on Hebrides Lane in New London. And this was the hardest hit area. And... There were 12 lots that I counted as I walked around the subdivision where there was once a cottage. You could see posts where the, the cottages were sitting, but no evidence of a cottage. A, a tidal wave just came along or a storm surge and washed everything out to sea. But there's something I want you to know. And what we're going to be talking about here this morning has caused this level of devastation in homes and in families because we are going to see as we study together in the book of Proverbs that there has been widespread destruction in some of our relationships. And I hope that as we study together, this will become more evident how serious this is because Solomon is going to talk to us today about lying about deception, about dishonesty, and about cheating, and the consequences of all of that. The destruction that I've seen is a visual example of the destruction that is often caused in our homes and in our relationships, because we don't have a commitment to the truth. And that's in the big things as well as in the little things. So in Proverbs, Solomon talks about the destruction that comes. And here's what he says in chapter 11, verse 1. Good people will be guided by honesty. Dishonesty will destroy those who are not trustworthy. And the word I want to draw your attention to is that word destroy, because it actually means a violent action against. So when we don't speak the truth, it brings destruction. It brings a violent action against our lives and the people with whom we share our lives. And some of you have felt the destruction. And it's not just from your own lies, but it's also from others who have lied. And you've been caught in that violent action against. The reason it causes such destruction is because at the heart of everything relational is trust. And, and when you start chipping away at that, there's nothing left. And eventually, it's impossible to have intimacy in marriage. It's impossible to actually have partnership without trust. It's impossible to have community within the church without trust. Everything is built upon trust, while dishonesty and lying just kind of chip away at that, and it destroys trust, and then eventually the whole thing just collapses. 
So Solomon's warning against this. And he says, I know that many of you have stood in the rubble of that. Maybe you've caught your spouse seeing someone else. Or maybe you had a co-worker that cheated you out of something. Maybe there was actually a promise from your boss, a promise of a promotion that he never followed through on. Maybe you were paid uh, something uh, by, excuse me, maybe you paid somebody to do a job and they never did the job for you. Or maybe you did some work for somebody and never received any pay in return. And once that trust goes, everything goes, and it's a violent action against. So Solomon speaks about this in chapter 6. He said, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, and two of the seven are about lying. The second one is a lying tongue, and the seventh one is actually a false witness who pours out lies. So God detests dishonesty. And I like what Proverbs 12 says, the Lord hates or detests those who tell lies, but is pleased with, or he delights in, those who keep their promises. And that word detest literally means to make sick or to make nauseous. So when we lie, when we're dishonest, it actually makes God want to vomit. It, it is what it does. It causes him to be nauseous. But on the other hand, he delights. It's like a father that is proud and, and sticks out their chest because he sees his children walking in the truth. He sees them speaking the truth. And that's much like I was when I was watching my daughters play sports as they were growing up. My middle daughter, Shannon, she was 15 years old and got called up to the under-18 Tier 1 soccer team. And it was indoor league, and I would go watch her games 11 o'clock on a Monday night. It was kind of late for a 15-year-old. But they won the championship, and she was the goaltender. And in that final game, the game actually went to shootout. And Shannon stopped all three shots that came her way. And you know, I was walking around those stands with my chest stuck out as far as it could go. And then my youngest daughter, Ainsley, made the under-18 uh, soccer team in Dartmouth that went to the national championships in Edmonton. And she actually never played in the first half of the first game, but the coach never trusted her all through the season. But then they put her on to start the second half, and she never left the field the rest of the tournament. She played so well. And once again, Dad's going around with his chest stuck out. And then my oldest daughter, Brittany, played rugby for the most part, but also she played soccer. And there were times over and over again where I'd see her tackling these girls much bigger than her, getting the ball, and just stuck out again. So I'm sure that this is what it's like with God when he sees us telling the truth. He sees us being honest. But I think the reason why he's so disgusted by lying is because he sees the destruction that he causes in the lives of those he loves and those that he cares for, those that he knows. There are over 30 verses of Scripture in the book of Proverbs that deal with the subject of living truthfully. And that's a lot of attention. And that's because it's a message that we need to hear. And I think in large part, 
we lack conviction of that in our culture because we've more or less come to expect that people are going to lie. And sometimes we even expect it in ourselves. Are you ready for a shocker? A New York Times article states that 91% of people confess that they regularly don't tell the truth. 36% say they lie about important matters. 86% say they lie regularly to their parents. So you kids that are here, don't be part of that statistic. 75% say they lie regularly to friends. 69% to spouses. And it makes you wonder whether you can trust the survey. Because I wish there was a stat that said, how many of you lie on surveys? Because I don't know if we can trust the numbers. The Institute of Behavior Modification says that 97 out of 100 people lie on average about three times a day in one way or another. And then sociologists tell us that we hear or we're exposed to some 500 lies a day. Actually, that's a lie. It's only 200. But that's how easy it is to lie. It, it, we're exposed to it everywhere we go. And Solomon is warning us against that. So I want us to kind of broaden our definition of how the Bible would describe a liar. And as we study through Proverbs, we're going to see some different kinds or categories of liars that we want to point to. And the first one would be called the flatterer. And a flattering person tells someone what they want to hear, even if it isn't true. And there could be different motivations for that. It could be fear of disappointing the other person, or maybe it could also be the fact that you don't want them to be angry at you for telling them the truth. And the same people who build others up to their face kind of then say behind their backs things that aren't true about them. And it becomes from this same type of heart, this insecure heart that wants to promote itself. So we can get caught up in that, but it's dangerous because it gives people a false sense of who they are. The Solomon parallels flattery with lying. Chapter 26. Liars hate the people they hurt, and false praise can ruin others. So a lying tongue is like a flattering mouth, and it works ruin. And on the surface, we're thinking, well, what can be so wrong with that? I'm just overstating a little bit. Is there really that much harm in telling someone what they want to hear? But Solomon says what it does, it actually lays a trap at their feet. Now, I don't know if American Idol is still on TV or Canadian Idol anymore, but I did watch a few of the early episodes of all of that. And uh, I can remember seeing people in the interview or the early portion of that when they would be doing their auditions. And I would see some people and I'd say, why are they even here? They, they don't deserve to be here at all. But they've driven a long way. They've waited in line all day, and they're excited. They're going to be going to the finals in Hollywood. And you think, okay, they should be good, but 
It's not good. It's painful. They start singing, and halfway through that first song, you realize not only can't they sing, but they don't even realize that they can't sing. So then it's someone like Simon Cowell that has to speak up to them, and he goes, hasn't anyone told you that you can't sing? Well, no. Didn't your mother tell you that you can't sing? No, my mom tells me that I'm a beautiful singer. And they're then embarrassed in, in front of millions of people. And maybe the parents look at one another and, and they think, you know, maybe we should have said something, eh? Maybe we should have encouraged them to focus on something else because we've laid a trap for them and we've set them up for ridicule in front of millions of people on TV. The Proverbs 29 says, those who give false praise to their neighbors are setting a trap for them. So now, why do we tend to flatter people? We agree with them verbally, but really we disagree with them behind their backs. So why do we do that? And maybe it's because we don't want to have the hard conversation, and we don't like the confrontation, so the path that we take is just flatter them. It may not just be building them up, but you might be in a meeting and you don't speak up and give what your opinion really is. Or you might be with a good friend and you hold back something that you want to say about their life that would really help them. Or the Bible would challenge us to speak the truth in love. And when we refuse to do that, it just chips away at that trust, which is the foundation of our relationships. Liar number two, according to the book of Proverbs, could be identified as the exaggerator. And Solomon warns again and again about being truthful in the big things and in the little things. And exaggeration is the truth, essentially, but then it just goes a little bit beyond the boundaries of the truth. And we do this for all kinds of reasons. It might be so that we can have a more interesting story. And I don't know, maybe sometimes James and I may stretch our stories just a little to make them sound a, a little better. Or maybe it's because we want to get attention or we want to promote ourselves. And at the heart of lying is always selfishness. So we exaggerate because we want to promote ourselves and, and we want to look good. And once you have the reputation for exaggerating, it's really hard to be trusted because people don't know whether you're stretching the truth and when you're keeping it real. They've heard the stories about how great you were in sports in high school. They've heard about that big fish that you caught. They heard about how you were hunting and killed all these different animals. But sometimes they can be telling the truth and nobody believes them because they're always exaggerating. And one of the things you can notice about a person who struggles with exaggeration is that they talk a lot. They, and that's just true. And some of the best wisdom from Solomon when it comes to this is to sometimes be quiet. And some of us, and I had to change that to us in the first service because my family guffawed me, but some of us could cut our sin in half if we just didn't talk so much. It would revolutionize our spiritual life. And Solomon says in chapter 10, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. And so that's a proverb that some of us need to memorize because 
we get ourselves into trouble. We talk too much. And the more you talk, the more you tend to exaggerate and stretch a little bit. We want something good to say. We want people to like us. So we try to draw the attention to ourselves. Now, it's interesting because the Greek word for exaggerate is the word resume. And in one way or another, whether it's and to possibly get a certain position or job, or whether it's the hypothetical resume that we're always handing out to the people we meet, there's a tendency to exaggerate and try to put down something that will impress people. We want to draw that attention to ourselves. Liar number three in the book of Proverbs would be called the cheater. And whether that's at school, in business, in relationships, we've just come to accept it. And, and it's not just accept it, but we actually expect it. We almost see everything through a filter, assuming that people are stretching the truth in some way for their own purposes. Duke University did some research on cheating in high school and in college students and found about 70% admitted to it. Esquire magazine interviewed 10,000 women in North America, for the average age of 27, and 49% said that their husbands had an affair on them. And in business, we're constantly reminded of business practices that are dishonest. I know this isn't completely accurate, but we're going ahead and doing it. You'll hear people say that. We know that the hotel isn't going to quite match up to the pictures on the internet. You know that that stuff that you rub on your head isn't going to make your hair grow back again. You know that putting that stuff on your teeth and overnight you're going to have whiter teeth. You know, that just doesn't work. It, you know that it does hurt when you pull the wax off. You know that that medical procedure isn't going to be painless. You know that nobody can lose 150 pounds eating three Subway sandwiches a day. You know it just doesn't happen. Yet we're constantly surrounded by it. And pretty soon we start to find ourselves living in it. Feeling like, well, if I'm going to do business, then I've got to do it this way or it's going to cost me. Or I'm just going to continue to go with what everyone else is doing. Proverbs 11, Solomon said, The Lord hates dishonest scales, but he is pleased with honest weights. Now we can get creative, and we can call it standard business practice, and students can say, well, pretty well everyone else is cheating, and if I don't get caught, it really doesn't count. But the Bible teaches that God knows, and that's enough. In Acts 5, we read the story of a husband and wife by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And they had this piece of property, which they said they were going to sell, and they were going to give the full proceeds to the church. But after they made the deal, they looked at all that money, and they thought, well, maybe we'll just keep a little bit of it to ourselves. We'll still give most of it to the church. And so they made that decision. Well, Peter went to confront Ananias. And the Bible says that when he did that, Ananias fell down and died. And then in verse 10 of Acts chapter 5, Sapphira comes home and she's oblivious to what has just happened. And Peter says to her, 
Tell me, is this the full price of the sale of the land that you have brought to the church as an offering? And she said, oh yes, that's the full price. And then she fell down at his feet and died. Now I'm guessing Ananias and Sapphira thought, you know what, no one is going to know the difference. We're still giving a substantial offering to the church here. So let's just let them think that it is the full amount. But the problem is they said they would give the whole amount and they didn't give the whole amount. And we see how seriously God is going to take this within this new community called the church. Why? Because everything is built on trust. So when Ananias confronts, is confronted by Peter, Peter said, what made you think of doing such a thing? You didn't just lie to men, but you lied to God. Do you think that God doesn't know? What made you think that you could do such a thing? And he was just going to kind of look the other way. So we see how God begins to take this thing seriously. And then liar number four, we'll call the promise breaker. Chapter 12. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. So when we break a promise... We don't keep our word, but we rarely think of that as lying. And I've been exposed to that and seen it exposed in myself as a parent. I would say, yes, I'll do this to one of my daughters, and then something would come up. Something happens, maybe in the church or, or in the, the neighborhood or in the family, and I didn't follow through. And I didn't think of that as lying because it was the circumstances that changed things. But the trust begins to erode and suddenly we find it hard to be trusted in big things because we've been dishonest in the little things. And we find different ways to justify and different excuses to break a promise. But the Bible goes to great lengths to teach us to always just do what we said we were going to do. There's so much junk on the internet, but there are actually websites that exist to help people cheat on their spouses. And one of them had four million subscribers. And we just wonder, what is it that makes people go to that website? Did they feel undervalued and unappreciated? Or uh, are they thinking that the other partner isn't holding up their end of this agreement? If she was more encouraging to me, then I wouldn't do this. If he was more romantic, then uh, I'd do this. So we just write it off as dishonesty. But in Proverbs 11, the Bible says, The Lord hates those with evil hearts, but is pleased with those who are innocent, who show integrity. And that's what I want us to take away. And there are two commitments that I want you to make here this morning. The first commitment is, I will tell the truth in small things. Now understand that there's a connection between the insignificant and the significant when it comes to matters of truth. And Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 16, He who can be trusted in a little can be trusted with much, but he who is dishonest with a little will be dishonest with much. So there are all kinds of connections that have been made to how we treat the small, the little, the seemingly insignificant things as that being an indication of how we're going to deal with the big things. 
So be truthful in what seems insignificant to you. Don't tell the person at the fast food restaurant, I'm just going to have water. Would you, if I could have a cup, please? And then you go over and you get pop out of the machine. Or don't try to lie about your kid's age to save a few dollars. You go to some recreational facility and the sign says, children under the age of 10 are free. And you've got this 12-year-old and you shove him over there. And the, the person says, boy, he's kind of tall for a, a nine-year-old. Yeah, he just had an early growth spurt. But we, we don't do things like that. We don't take home office supplies and say, well, that's not that big of a deal. Because how we handle the little and the insignificant things is an indicator of how we're going to handle the big things. So every time a lie is made, there is an incremental amount of damage done. So be truthful in the little things. Make that commitment. And then the second commitment is, I will tell the truth even if it costs me something. Because I've said the number one reason we lie is because we have a heart of selfishness. And telling the truth be actually makes us uncomfortable or maybe it makes us too inconvenient. It costs us more than we want to pay. Make a commitment to tell the truth when it's hard, when it hurts, and when it costs you something. See, as Christians, we should look so different from the world when it comes to the truth. When it comes to being commitment makers, when it comes to being promise makers, when it comes to speaking and living the truth, we should be so different from the rest of the world because this is the core of God's character. In John chapter 8, John said, that lying is Satan's native tongue, that when we lie, we're speaking his language. And the Bible says that God is truth. He is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So this is at the core of who he is, that he does what he says, what he's going to do. He's a truth teller. And this is why so many of us have put our trust in him, because we know that we can trust him. He tells the truth, and that's what scripture is all about. So God says to Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a baby. And now they're well beyond childbearing years and it's physically impossible for them to have a child. So Abraham laughs at God. But then a few months later, he puts his hand on his wife Sarah's stomach and he can feel a child. And he knows just how far God will go to keep his promises, that he always tells the truth. God says to Noah, Noah, there's going to be this great flood that's going to cover the whole earth, and I want you to build a boat, and we're going to call this thing an ark. And Noah goes out into his backyard, and he takes everything that he has, he gathers all of his resources and more, he spends all of his time and building this huge boat. And people come from all over, and they laugh at him. They make fun of him because he's building this huge boat in the middle of a desert where there's no sign of rain whatsoever. But he keeps building it, and he's looking up, and there's not a cloud in the sky. And then finally, he finishes the boat, and he feels a raindrop. God always tells the truth. He always keeps his promises. God says to Moses, Moses, the time has come for me to take my people, the nation of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. 
And I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to say, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And he says, well, okay, there was a little hesitation for a while there, but he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, God says he's going to free his people, and you need to let his people go. And then the Bible tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And as a result of that, Pharaoh gets a front row seat for the plagues that come upon the nation of Egypt. It begins with the Nile turning to blood. There are gnats and various other pestilences like that. And then the, along come the locusts, the death of the oldest child in each family in Egypt. And then the Red Sea parts, the Egyptian am, army drowns in it. The people of God are free. God tells the truth. And God always tells the truth. He keeps his promise. And that's why the invitation is for you to put your trust in him. Because God has said that the day is coming when Jesus will return. And that all who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will go with him on to eternity in heaven. But the ones who haven't done that, he said, they will be condemned to hell. And that's the truth. And it's not popular to say that. People don't like to hear that. But it's the truth. God tells the truth and he keeps his promises. So the invitation is for you to put your trust in Jesus Christ because he can be trusted. And if you are ready, if you want to talk to someone about that, you could come meet me at the front as we sing a song of commitment. You could speak to me at the door, contact us at the office through the week, speak to our associate pastor James. But don't leave here without talking to someone about that commitment that you need to make.